what I recognized is that, you know, from the beginning in our consumer journey, really how we grow and scale is all about our talent, which is why we really have always been kind of the higher standard, that top core tile. We're unapologetic to the consumer on price because we want to pay our caregiver the best in the industry. And we want them to have a living wage. We want them to stay. That match between the senior and the caregiver is so important. The last thing we want is the caregiver to be quitting because we've paid them 50 cents less per hour than someone else down the street. And so once we had these amazing caregivers and nurses, what we needed to recognize is the only way we were going to keep them is if they had stability and how they earned a living. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, we have Shelly Sun, the CEO and founder of Bright Star Home Care. Shelly founded Bright Star all the way back in 2002. Today, She has about 380 franchises in operation that do over 660 million in system-wide revenue. My favorite part of this story, she's bootstrapped this company and to this day is the 100% owner of her business. If you're interested in bootstrapped stories and learning about the senior care industry, Shelly is the perfect person to hear from. Enjoy the conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. I'm impressed with how Harry is helping franchise owners. Hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on one powerful platform that's used by over 50,000 locations today. Visit harry.com and tell them the wolf sent you. That's H-A-R-R-I dot com. So I know you started Brightstar in 2002, I believe. That's right. What was the experience preceding that that really primed you to to look at this senior care industry? Yeah, absolutely. So in late 2001, early 2002, I was actually the one for our family looking for care for our grandma, Pat, who lived in Florida. We lived in Illinois, and she needed a range of services, both non-medical, basic bathing, make sure she was taking her medications, showering safely, incontinence issues, But she also had pain management issues that need to be done by a nurse through injections. And as we came to find out, that wasn't one person who could do all of that. The first being probably more of a home care, you know, certified nursing assistant or home health aide. And the second one being a nurse, an LPN or an RN. And one company didn't offer both. And so we were having to go through two different companies to coordinate the care for Grandma Pat. And then if you can imagine, you know, some people showed up, some people didn't, trying to coordinate getting, you know, high quality care, reliable care, and having them coordinate with each other since they were with different companies to know who was coming at what time and know how Grandma Pat was doing, whether, you know, if that would influence what kind of medications needed to be given 
or the quantity of the medications that needed to be given. We lost her to cancer in March of 2002. And I was, you know, working for a subsidiary of United Airlines and right after September 11th. And so was going through kind of this change in my life where I was going to shut down this entire division and have severance and had just gone through a pretty impactful experience of are there other adult daughters or adult granddaughters like me who for the family are coordinating care and have no idea where to turn, are willing to pay more for higher quality, but they want reliability, they want quality, they want someone who's going to care and compassionate, and is this something I could do? And so by October of 2002, so you know, six to nine months after losing Grandma Pat, Bright Star Care was established to do what we couldn't find for ourselves, which was have one company deliver both medical and non-medical. So a family could hire one company, Bright Star Care, and have all of the range of services. And we would be responsible for coordinating that home health aide or certified nursing assistant with the nurses to make sure that this was seamless and gave peace of mind to the family. We wish we could have received it, but we believe there was a need. And as it turns out, we were right. But it was a little bit of a gamble as to whether the market would be willing to pay for what we were going to deliver. But I spent a lot of time this summer of 2002 talking to a lot of people in the healthcare field, uh, seeing if the, if I potentially had tapped into something that could be a need of consumers that had not yet been met. So just to, I guess, summarize a bit of the pain point on like a really basic level for your grandma, you guys really needed both that non-medical care provider, right? Like you said, even just things like getting dressed, that like kind of that, like a home assistant almost. And then, but you also did need a nurse to be around for specific injections and medications. And you couldn't find a single company that not only provided both, but also did, you know, just had, had people showing up on time and things like that. So you set out to kind of combine, you know, to be, let's call it a one-stop shop for folks in need of senior care. Exactly. And yet, so, I mean, today, and, and we'll dive into the journey, but I know, you know, it's been, I guess, over a couple decades at this point since 2002. And, you know, I know like Bright Star staffing, your staffing, the staffing franchise has, I believe, at least over 350 territories operating. That's correct. A little over 380 uh, locations across the U.S. and 40 states. That's just fantastic growth and a fantastic accomplishment to get to this point. But do you want to maybe, can we zoom out for people who are who are listening to this and maybe aren't familiar with like the senior care industry as a whole? Because I know, I believe Bright Star has a few different, divi- like let's call it divisions or separate franchise offerings where you have Bright Star Care Homes, the staffing, which we just talked about and then even senior living. So what are these kind of three components that are kind of what make up this senior care industry from the franchise side? Yeah, and and I'll focus probably mostly on Bright Star Care, and that's about 85% home care. So taking care of an individual, the payer might be a business or it might be an individual, and about 15% is staffing where we are providing the same kind of group of talent to nursing homes, hospitals, doctor's offices, labs, et cetera, uh, school districts, our folks, you know, taking care of their residents, students, patient population, but it's largely home care. And, you know, 
just spending a lot of time understanding what consumers needed. You know, we were trying to address a pain point for ourselves that really we understood was more than just ourselves and was a larger market. To your point, high quality, reliable care that offered the full continuum of care, non-medical and medical in the home. We've seen that some families will progress to the point where they're not safe to live on their own or they don't have the financial resources to pay for 24 by 7 care and because they, they would need that to be safe in their home because they don't have a family member living there and they're completely on their own. And so we have evolved and done, you know, other brands, which Bright Star Senior Living, we have four communities in the country. They had started back in 2014. We have two in Wisconsin, one in Indiana, one in Ohio, and they're beautiful and give, you know, really high quality of care. And it kind of, you know, taps into the labor shortage where you're able to have, you know, one employee for five to eight residents versus one to one as labor continues to be an issue for many industries and home care is not, you know, exempt from that. But also trying to address some of our families were asking us for a recommendation for senior living communities, assisted living, memory care that they could go to if they no longer could remain independently in their own home. And so we wanted to be able to offer a solution for them. Care homes was a good pivot, particularly during COVID, where the cost of building larger properties has gone up 20, 30, 40 percent. And interest rates have in the last 12 months gone up significantly. And so reducing the capital outlay and therefore the interest expense makes a smaller format community living more doable i think for more franchisees to be able to take on a you know with the real estate you know a million million three investment without the real estate if it's done through a developer you know half a million dollars or so investment versus you know 6 to 9 million dollars on a bright star senior living so a bright star senior living the four communities have you know anywhere from 30 to 45 rooms in them so large communities, but not as large as the 200 or room or so COVID examples early on in Washington State and New York that, you know, have scared many people from not wanting to be in these large establishments with 100 plus people. So still smaller boutique, high quality, but the care homes are about 10 to 12 rooms in a residential neighborhood that have been retrofitted or built from scratch to be able to help, you know, multi-room dwelling, but still have you know, a couple of caregivers during the day, one overnight, so people are safe and have access to care, but they were taking their meals communally and they have, you know, the social determinant of health, which is a big issue with our seniors. They have other people that they are interacting with that are similar age around the clock. And so that's a new venture for us. We have probably 10 or so homes open or under construction and probably will launch another 10 to 25 per year and can be a great entry point for new franchisees that maybe don't want as much hands-on full-time effort as our Bright Star Care brand requires our franchisees. It's not an investor model. We are looking for franchisees that are kind of hands-on working the business. They can progress after a couple of years of putting a leadership team in place and not being in it as much. But we believe to do this well, given the fact that we're taking care of moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. It's not something that you can do as a part-time effort and from a distance. You need to be immersed in it to do it well. That totally makes sense. And it sounds like the evolution of these different offerings perhaps was basically, again, back to that one-stop shop comment I made earlier. 
that, you know, if a consumer has a pain point where you said, you know, sometimes, you know, perhaps they are, it's unsafe for them to be home 24 seven or they can't afford the one-to-one care that the home side of this business is where you guys can at least give them that option. And you're right. So you're kind of covering all the bases for what someone might need, right? From a senior care perspective. Absolutely. It always starts with, you know, one of our core values is serve with passion. It always starts there for me and for our brand. It's, you know, I think any individual would prefer to remain at home. It's why our industry is growing so quickly, but we still really stand out. We still are very unusual in the industry to do the non-medical and medical to combined. Most only do the non-medical because it's simpler to do and simpler to execute. But the reality is that most families are going to have a journey like ours have. And that is at some point during their journey, they're going to need access to medical care. And the last thing they want is to stop working with who they've been working with to have to get a company that does too, or in some ways, worse yet, having to manage two different companies that are uncoordinated. And so we really still are unique in the offering that we have in our in the industry. And what was the sort of stepping stones to where you are today? Because right today you have the, all the offerings, but I guess you said it sound uh, it started with primarily the home care, and then like did staffing kind of evolve where you thought, hey, we're already helping franchisees place in-home care providers. You know, we can also help nurses, you know, our hospitals and schools and all these other places too. Yeah, I'm happy to walk through that. So I, we started our business in 2002. In 2004, I became an investor in two hotels and I went to new manager and new owner training with Choice Hotels. So I was a franchisee before I was ever a franchisor. I understood it from a franchisee perspective. So it needed to be value added for the franchisee if they were going to pay an upfront franchise fee and an ongoing royalty stream. And what I had found in hotels is it was worth it because I didn't know the industry. I needed the advertising. I needed the ongoing support. I wanted my field support to kind of do those drop-in visits and tell me what I could be doing better. So I sat there and new owner and new manager training and said, I totally could franchise our business. That's how we went from company owned to franchise in the beginning. And so we started franchising pretty heavily in 2006, 2007. What I recognized is that, you know, from the beginning in our consumer journey, really how we grow and scale is all about our talent which is why we really have always been kind of the higher standard, that top core tile. We're unapologetic to the consumer on price because we want to pay our caregiver the best in the industry. And we want them to have a living wage. We want them to stay. That match between the senior and the caregiver is so important. The last thing we want is the caregiver to be quitting because we've paid them 50 cents less per hour than someone else down the street. And so once we had these amazing caregivers, And nurses, what we needed to recognize is the only way we were going to keep them is if they had stability and how they earned a living. And seniors go into hospitals, they travel, they pass away. And so from the very beginning, literally within three months of me founding the business in 2002, I had a nursing home contract that I was staffing. And it was because I wanted to make sure that my amazing caregivers, as they had a lull in the home care side, I could plug them into the nursing home for a few weeks until I had another home care case. And it can be a great way for training ground because there's usually a lot of capacity on the staffing. You'll negotiate on rate and you got to charge them less on like the third or fourth or fifth they're willing to take. But for me, it becomes an ability to keep my caregivers working until I have a home care case. And it's a proving out ground. I'm unable to supervise them and know that they're going to be great and reliable in a home care setting. 
And I don't want to have a failure for a family. But if I can send them in for three to six weeks on a nursing home contract, I'm hearing real-time feedback if they're not showing up on time, if they're on their cell phone, if they're not dressed appropriately. And I can feel good about then pivoting them to the home care side of the business. So from the very beginning, that's been kind of central, but it's really kind of being respectful of our home care workforce that you know are really doing the Lord's work every single day. They have their own families to take care of. How can I give them stability in an industry that only pays them if they work? And so that's really been the value premise from the very beginning. I see the big things that have allowed us to grow and scale across time, the things that I think we've gotten right, they weren't necessarily easy at the time, but the things we've gotten right. In 2008, we had probably about 50 or so franchisees and enough that we were starting to be in a few states that we funded a national accounts department where we have our own sales force going out with third-party payers, whether that's workers' comp or infusion or insurance companies, you know, you name it, to say, we've got this geographic population, let's negotiate a contract, have rate schedules per state or per city, and we then are giving our franchisees business. And so they're having to execute on it, they're having to fulfill it, but they're not having to go procure it. And if we could do that and help ramp our franchisees up, particularly when they first opened, that would be a huge win for them. And we'd be doing something good that was also at scale. So we started that program in 2008. 10 years later in 2018, we crossed over $100 million of our system-wide revenue being from this national account program. And it was 20% or more of our franchisees' revenue. So that's 20% that my competitors are not able to offer to their franchisees because a lot of our national account partners want What is the second thing that we did after 2008? We locked arms with the Joint Commission, which is an accrediting organization for the industry. How am I going to make sure that all moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas are getting that higher standard of care that I believe we want to stand for and is critically important morally, um, as well as from a business execution and, and differentiation standpoint? And we aligned with the Joint Commission. At the time, they did not have a home care accreditation. It is the accrediting best recognized organization for hospitals and nursing homes. And together in 2010 to 2012, labor of love for three years, we built an accreditation for home care. And then we require every single one of our franchisees then and since that come on come onto the brand to have to be accredited. So it allows us to have someone who's not us being big brother, making sure that our standards are consistent from a quality and clinical standpoint. But it also creates a marketing differentiation to the consumer, to the referral sources that are hospitals referring out patients that are discharging, but really to this national account platform. And so how we went from zero to over 100 million in a 10-year period of time was because during that period of time, we found how do we let them know that we kind of have the good housekeeping seal and joint commission is the equivalent of our good housekeeping seal that makes these really large organizations, pharma companies. We were the organization that helped with the FDA trials for one of the COVID vaccines. Those were my nurses and you know hundreds of them deploying to get that done. And that was an honor to serve our country, to serve the world, and being able to kind of stop the spread and save lives with COVID. But it's because they trusted us because of our joint commission, and most people in the healthcare field know what that is. The other thing that we were fortunate to have happen in 2011, 2012, is we went on Undercover Boss, 
We saw the reach that we had from me being on Undercover Boss. Scrubs do not look good on anyone. Uh, that's my only disclaimer. But we were, we had the honor to you know get to interact with our caregivers, highlight our brand. And what we saw is we got a lot of new clients from that. We got a lot of new franchisees from that. And I knew then that we needed to be on national TV. Our general marketing fund would have been inadequate to do that. So we had to go out and try to convince our franchisees that we would fund, they would fund. We would give them some things and trade off to increase the general marketing fund contribution. And we went on national TV in 2014. I think that was also a big part of how we have grown and scaled. So, you know, we obviously franchise, we built a national account program, we differentiated on quality with a third party good housekeeping name of Joint Commission. We went on national TV and then we've continued to iterate and adapt in an industry that is rapidly changing as to who pays. Medicare Advantage now pays for the kind of services we provide and we're leaned into that heavily with third-party organizations helping us adapt to that, pivot to that. Our national account program is adapting and evolving to that and we've been doing data studies where we're actually able to prove as the only company ever in home care that we bend the cost curve and improve outcomes if we're involved versus if we're not involved. And that's increasing the national account program. It's also increasing those that want to use us locally, direct to our franchisees because they feel good about what we can deliver. And so, you know, now in, you know, 2022, the year that we just closed, national account program was over 30% of system-wide revenues for our franchisees, you know, $650 million system, over 30%. You do the math. I mean, it's been a, become a very large program. We've got a team of 10 plus in that department that we fund, but we feel like it's really value added that we can train our franchisees to execute and teach them how to procure local business. But if we can start ramping them up right after training, as soon as they're opening, fulfilling national account positions, then they learn how to do payroll. They learn how to do revenue, how to do billing and all of those kind of processes versus waiting for them to find their first customer. It might be a couple months and other brands we're able to have them have business generally almost from the very beginning with national account programs. And we think that's a huge benefit to our brand and why we've reached the size and scale that we have. Can you maybe just dive in more about specifically what's going on with this national accounts program? You know, so if I'm a franchisee, right, are you providing the providers to me easier or the business of seniors you need in-home care providers? Or is it, perhaps I missed it, but yeah, just if you can kind of summarize if I'm a franchisee, so, so think yeah. about the yeah, think about the national account program being more of a B to B to C. So it's a business procuring us as a business because they need us to fulfill the consumers that they have a commitment to. So let's say that it's um, Humana and they have a Medicare Advantage plan. They need us providing care to their Medicare Advantage insureds, but the over sixty five tapping into their benefit isn't paying the bill. Humana Medicare Advantage is paying the bill, right? And so instead of having to go to 10,000 different agencies, they're able to come to a handful of brands. And because I make it easy for them to do that, we're able to get business at scale to our franchisees. Similarly, for workers' comp companies, they don't want to go contract with Bright Star Care of Cincinnati. They want to come to me put a contract in place, have an auto-enroll process with all of my franchisees. They have the addresses loaded into their system of all of our franchisees and the zip codes they serve. 
And if they have an order, they can see in our technology integration that is something that my franchisees can do. And they go through part of my national account program is a centralized intake. They don't have to call 200 plus locations, right? They only have to call one or submit an order in a queue to one and we disperse it out to our network. So administratively, we make it easy for our national account partners to do business with us. That creates volume and opportunity for our franchisees to execute. They have to hire the staff. They have to match make the staff to the order that we've given them, but they didn't have to go generate the order. They're fulfilling the order. I'm super impressed with how Harry's is helping hospitality owners. With Harry, you can hire, manage, engage, and retain your people on a powerful end-to-end platform. Join over 50,000 restaurants and hotels across the globe who use Harry to save labor costs, and reduce risk through employee engagement. Created and run by passionate industry experts, Harry understands hospitality. Stop struggling to retain talent. Create great employee experiences. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. That's fantastic. And so it's, and they're not negotiating with the homeowners or anything like that, or, you know, the, it's a B2B contract. They know the rate that we've negotiated. Yep. That's great. That sounds like a win-win for everyone. I didn't realize there was that even that angle kind of existing in the industry. That That's really good to know. Yeah. So we say we have five different revenue streams. We do, you know, direct co- to consumer. We have companion care, personal care, skilled care. B2B locally, we have the staffing division where our franchisees signing a contract with a nursing home. And then we have our national account program where we're going and putting these contracts in place where the franchisee knows the rate, they know what's expected when the order comes in for a consumer that needs to be serviced in their community. They know what they're going to get paid, how they need to bill, and they just need to match make it and fulfill it. They didn't have to go generate that business. They're fulfilling the business. That's a great service to, to, to have as a franchisee. Well, I want to talk about kind of, I guess, maybe backtracking a bit back to like when you started franchising. I mean, what was that like just where you you kind of were a few years in to running your own, right, senior care business, but then just, you know, franchising, that's a whole different ballgame. So, you know, what was that like, especially early on, right, with maybe speaking to your first prospects, getting your first franchisees on board? You know, was there any big kind of learning curve moments where you maybe had to adjust and just change things up a bit? Uh, Because obviously, right, it's one thing when you're running your business, but then you have to effectively convince someone else to spend however much money to invest in your franchise. And then not only that, it's the time that they're going to have to spend running that business. You know, it's a massive decision for anyone. So yeah, what were those early days like? Yeah, I think it's been a lot of iterations. I think we have been benefited from the fact that we did run our own company on locations. Probably 80% of my competitors in this industry never had a company on location. They taught others what to do, but they had never done it themselves. And I don't understand that. I don't know that I could buy into that as a franchisee. And so we had company on locations 
And then we use those to be able to train franchisees. So we brought some talent up and through the franchise side, but we also would bring our franchisees to kind of day in the life of and sit and experience kind of our company own so they could see the processes kind of as they were actually happening. So that I think that helped. And I think as we've continued to run company owned, it's allowed us to iterate what we're providing in our boot camp training to franchisees, how we're supporting our franchisees. I think the biggest you know, evolution for me as an early stage franchisor who's passionate about the responsibility of bringing the right people into our brand and giving them an opportunity to be successful. Two things. One, I think that those first 25, I was trying to support myself before I had brought on field support talent to do that. And it's hard for those first 25, then we're used to interacting with the founder and a passionate founder to then ever go through anyone else. That's taken over a decade to get to where they would, you know, finally start going to those that were in my organization. And so I wish I had brought on field support talent earlier and maybe not brought on a different position that I could have done that was more behind the scenes and allowed that entry point from the beginning for support always to be an employee of mine with me as an escalation point, but not me as the go-to for everything that became difficult to continue to scale without the risk of burning out kind of in that early stage. And then I guess I have been surprised at, I think a franchise is a great way in the cliche to be in business for yourself, but not by yourself, but you still takes hard work. It still takes grit. You're still going to have hard days. Even when I was an employee, I had hard days and you just had to you know, suck it up and get through it, right? I guess I've been surprised at those that will spend so much money to buy a franchise and then expect that it's just going to be easy. And so I spent a lot of time in our franchise sales process and have for probably the last three to five years being the speed bump. You know, if you're not passionate about what you do, you're not going to get through those tough days. So if you're looking at the senior care industry because of the demographics and you don't have a like a personal pull as to why you want to do it, why you're going to do it well, don't do it, right? Because you won't do it well or you'll burn out. If you're not coachable, you will not make a good franchisee. If every performance review you've had in your lifetime, you resented the feedback that could have made you better and thought that you kind of had it all figured out, don't be a franchisee. Because to me as a franchisor, that's bad profit. If I can't take a franchisee and make them better than they would on their own, then I don't want them. Even if I could collect my royalties, that's not what I'm in business for. I don't need the money. We've grown to such size and scale. I don't need the money. I never have. It's about trying to do the right things for the franchisee, but they have to be coachable. They have to participate. They have to lose the ego and check it at the door. And we're trying to serve our moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. It's not about us. It's about our consumers and then our amazing caregivers you know, as well. And then at some point, you're going to be accountable, which means you're going to have to be willing to be accountable to the results you have to deliver for the business and hold your team members accountable. And this is one I really try to stress because it was my hardest for me. Coming out of corporate America, I always had human resources to help me terminate someone. If I tried to coach them up and they just weren't doing what needed to be done and I needed to terminate them, it was the first time in my life that I had to terminate somebody only on my own and they knew that I really could make the choice not to terminate them. Being a small business owner, there's lots of things sexy about being a small business owner. That is not one of them. But I want a reality check. So a franchisee later is going to know that's part of what their role is. Yeah. And then the fourth for us is change management because continuous improvement is part of our culture. And with it, healthcare as an industry, 
we are going to continue to change. We're going to have new technology. We're going to have new payers. We're going to have new marketing programs. Someone who likes it to kind of stay the way it is, go do food service, don't do healthcare. And so I think it's really important to make sure people are self-selecting out. I think that's the best thing for both sides. I think that's what I've learned in this evolution is making sure I'm spending more time telling them what won't go well and what they need versus, quote unquote, trying to sell. And I'm not a salesperson. I'm an accountant by background. So selling is kind of contrary to my personality anyway. But I would we're going to put a lot of support into our franchisees. Typical ratios on franchising, maybe one support person for every 10 to 12 franchisees. We're one for every 2.5 to 3. So, you know, I'm very heavy investment in my franchise support center and technology groups to support our brand reaching scale. But I can't do that if my franchisee is not going to live their side of the equation and listen, procure, evolve. That's just bad on both sides. So I'd rather stop it before it starts if they're not going to be a good fit. That's fantastic. That support stat, especially. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear it all the time that he said the typical is one, whatever they're calling it, field ops or support, franchisee support specialist. Our field coaches are about one to every 20 to 22, but we have a very large franchisee facing. So like help desks, marketing department, you know, the local marketing, like, so all the things that are kind of franchisee facing, it is that large. Um, our national accounts team are all working on behalf of the franchisees. So, I mean, when you factor in all of those groups, you know, we're one to 2.5 to three, and that's a large investment. So usually for us, we are not making money on a franchisee until about 18 to 24 months into the journey. So we have to have them get on the other side of the startup and be growing and scaling for it to be a win-win on both sides. I think that means that we're linked in a win-win way. Definitely. No, that's a great way to align the incentives. You know, the way you're speaking about franchisees and kind of helping them grow and scale and, and get to on the path to success, you know, for you in this journey, something that I think is really impressive is for uh, many reasons, honestly, but you've kept 100% control of this business, which is rare, honestly, like, especially, I mean, you know, 20 plus years later, I'm sure there's, I'm going to imagine you probably get it all the time, right? People who are interested in acquiring the business, or maybe you've had investors reach out who say they want to help you scale. And maybe at times the capital looked attractive, but yeah. Can you kind of just share any, anything there of, you know, why you've chosen to be 100% bootstrapped still to this day. And yeah, you know, what's kind of the thoughts behind that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by doing good and taking care of our moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas that deserve to have an opportunity to live in independently and live in their homes. And that's a majority of what we do or community-based setting, but live their best lives as they go through that journey. I was very close to my grandparents growing up and very close to my first husband's, you know, grandparents, my fiance's mom, uh, sadly, we just lost in December. And I was her hands-on care provider. I was, you know, showering her, even though we had Bright Star caregivers in there with her and she went through four rounds of chemo. It was me that she trusted. And it was my honor. It's my first time I've ever done hands-on care. And it was an honor, right? And so my heart just always has been pulled to our seniors. Now we take care of children and disabled adults and seniors and I want to serve anyone I possibly can. There's just a special soft spot in my heart for seniors. And so I have believed up until now, it has been the best way to control the quality and the journey is being 100% owned. And 
you know, right now we're working very heavily. You know, we've we've all gone through three years of the pandemic. Things were not as they normally would be. We didn't gather with our franchisees as much. People kind of had to figure some things out. I think we gave, you know, lots of resources. I made sure personally I got every franchisee a PPP loan. I mean, literally in, you know, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. on Friday night through the weekends, maintaining a spreadsheet on every franchisee in my system to make sure everyone got a PPP loan to make sure they sustained in business. Because if they didn't stay in business, we would not be able to care for our seniors. I got PPE for everybody, right? So it's real personal for me. I think that Right now, we're making sure we're getting consistency and we're expecting franchisees to kind of raise their bar on, you know, the quality across the network, the net promoter score, our employee engagement score, turnover, all of those things. And then I think if we look out three to five years, I do believe three to five years from now, I will no longer own 100% of my company. I do believe I will still be working and being the CEO in my company. And to your point, we have a lot of suitors. I get asked out to sell my business a lot. Um, (laughs) We've got a great business. We generate a lot of profit. We're well-respected. We're well-known. But for me, it won't be about the absolute highest price. It will be about a culture fit that actually enables my franchisees to take care of even more families who deserve what we have to offer. And so whether that will be alignment with one of the Medicare Advantage plans or ultimately who they're owned by so we can service their network of insureds who deserve what we have to offer, it will be a strategic. It will not be a private equity or financial-based transaction for me. It will be someone who gives us access to care for even more people And that's to make sure that our brand is still around. I do believe there's so much change in the industry and so much change in government regulation. I would be concerned or worried not to be tethered to a part of the financial, part of the healthcare ecosystem that can help us evolve. And that's more about access than it is about finances. What if 100% of what we do became Medicare reimbursed and Medicare certification was required? That would be a very large pivot we would need to go through. I believe we could do anything. But it would be a very large pivot that we would need to go through, and it would be better to have somewhere in our ecosystem of Medicare Home Health sub-brand that's a sister brand to be able to help us through that and be able to tether back and forth. And so that's kind of how I think about the future. For me, it's never been that I want to run my own show. I loved corporate America. I worked harder. I got my stuff done, so my bosses always loved me. And so being able to actually have someone praise me all the time. It's kind of a lonely job being the CEO of a brand, you know, right? You rarely hear from your happy franchisees. You hear from your unhappy franchisees that are probably not doing their side of the equation and getting out and doing the sales calls that they're supposed to or making sure their people are doing what they are supposed to. So in some ways, it might actually be easier. But for me, it will always be every decision will not be an economic decision. It will be what's best for the brand, and ultimately what's best for the consumers we have the honor to serve, particularly those seniors we have the honor to be in their homes. And if we can align with another brand and serve more of them, that would do my heart good. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I I love the mission and value kind of approach that you have. And I think it's clear that, you know, what motivates you is really just how big of an impact and how many seniors you can help. So it's refreshing to hear, you know, uh, definitely take the angle, uh, which is with a lot of the guests, right, that I have is maybe a little bit more on the side of like just capitalism and giving people an idea of, right, of how much potential money they can make in franchising. And, and yeah, that was, that ties back. To be sustainably profitable at the franchisee level and at our level, this is not philanthropic. It does good, but it also has to make money because if you don't make money, 
you can't employ your people, you can't give them benefits, you can't grow and scale and do this more. So I think it has to be both, but I think it should be both. And to your point, I think sometimes we have the numbers and we don't have the heart and I think you need both. And I really respect that. And I think it's pretty awesome to see. And then, yeah, I guess just wrapping up here, Shelly, I mean, as you look at the future, this is kind of a twofold question. Well, I guess you did just give us some insight into potentially what's coming down the pipeline for Brightstar. But, you know, maybe I guess from an industry perspective, something that I've been seeing is a lot of, let's call it just, there's a lot of seniors that are starting to age, right? Baby boomers, so they're not getting younger uh, and there's a lot of baby boomers. So had you seen that kind of impact your business yet, just from a sheer like customer volume perspective? And do you expect over the next 10 to 20 years that that's going to continue? Yeah, I think we are seeing a growth in consumers wanting care. I think two things that I see that are critical, if I was anyone kind of watching or listening to this, whether it's Brightstar or anyone else in the healthcare ecosystem, two things I think I would really want to be listening for. One is what's the solution to workforce shortages and are they curating their own workforce and being innovative? And I believe we are. We just entered into a proprietary partnership with Chamberlain Nursing Schools. We actually will co-brand for the 40,000 nursing students. They'll get to do a home health rotation if they choose. And when they're in there, the nursing students and the scenarios will have Bright Star Care scrubs and the little avatar for the adult daughter is me. And so, you know, we're making sure we're reaching that future healthcare talent. We also were building our own programs. 50% of states don't require a CNA, Certified Nursing Assistant designation to be a home care provider, but we want them to be able to be trained so they do a great job. And so we're curating our own training programs to take those that might have been a you know, have the service heart, might have been a great server in a restaurant, in a retail setting, in a hotel, and giving them an opportunity to move to healthcare. But we need to train them how to do that and give them the opportunity. So I'd want to hear everything about workforce innovation and strategy. To me, if a franchisor is not solving that, to me, getting the seniors coming in is the easy part. You got to have the workforce to be able to supply the consumers that are going to want the care. If you don't have workforce solutions and investing millions in that, and already had started years ago, I think they're behind the eight ball. That's one. Secondly, I think a lot of who's paying the bills for the kind of care we provide is adapting rapidly and how they're going to want to reimburse. Up until this point in time, most healthcare wants to reimburse on a what's called a fee-for-service basis. I pay you a set fee for the hour that you provide care. I think we're moving to, I'll pay you less per hour And I'll pay you this incentive payment if you have good outcomes with someone and I'll pay you nothing or take money away if you have bad outcome with folks on a population. And so we've been buying back some franchisees. I want to be about 80%, 85% franchise, but we've gone from three company-owned locations to over 30 in the last 18 months. And we're in seven states now on the company-owned side. A, I need to prove to my franchisees I know how to run their business and that we have some best practices they should listen to. But also it's allowing me to put my balance sheet, to your point, I still own 100% of my company, put my balance sheet to work, doing some pilots of some of these reimbursement models where I'm not taking all of my money up front. I'm having to get some of my incentives on the back end, which is actually more profitable if I do good and I do well and I have good outcomes. But if I can learn that, package it, train my franchisees, much like national accounts, was something that I curated in 2008 and is blockbuster for our franchisees in terms of 
what we do compared to our competitors. I believe value-based care and these new methods of being reimbursed will be that next frontier that like national accounts was for us in 2008. But we've got to learn it, incubate it, package it, and roll it out to our network. And for franchisors that are not dabbling in Medicare Advantage, aren't dabbling in value-based care, I think their brands will cease to exist and their franchisees will be financially harmed. And so those are the two areas that we really are spending a lot of time and a lot of money in, workforce innovation, and using our company-owned expanded footprint to learn, innovate, risk some profit to be able to do more at scale for us and for our franchisees in the future. That's amazing. I mean, super great insight on the workforce management, then also what you just said about who's paying the bills. And I think it it really speaks a lot to your commitment to this vision and to the company's future that you're willing to have, you know, it's called 15 to 20% of your locations corporate owned because I basically for the last almost two years now, I just pile through FDDs and see all these different franchises. And that's quite a substantial percentage to be company owned. You know, most are opting for you know, this, the asset light model where it's, I mean, there are some franchises with hundreds to thousands of locations that own zero or one store and that's it, which uh, it's not even necessarily a knock on them because, you know, if the model works for franchisees uh, at the end of the day, that's most important. But still for this, I think it really makes sense to have that, A, just show that commitment, put your money where your mouth is, but then also right when you are testing potentially adapted business models that now you have your own territories and businesses to try it out on, hone in on it, dial in the the process before rolling it out to the franchisees versus, you know, I think an easy comparison is just like a QSR franchise that says, oh, we have a new menu item we want to test out. And, and every franchisee has to do it before they even know if it works. So yeah, I think that's really awesome. Belly, this has been a, a lot of fun. You know, I wanted to thank you for coming on. And is there anywhere online, either personally or, you know, if people are interested in Bright Star Care, as a franchise opportunity, what would be the best places to follow along online? Sure. Thank you so much. So brightstarfranchise.com, if someone's interested in exploring, if our franchise opportunity is a good fit for them. And then we all have moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas that are aging. And if we can have the honor to be able to provide care, it's brightstarcare.com. Yeah, folks, we'll plug both those in the show notes. Shelly, thanks again so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.